Hey everyone, this is Dylan, just letting you know what we got here for you today. This is an audio recording from a video that we shot via a WebEx conference about electric vehicles with some great panelists. The full video will be up on our website within the week, but for now, here is the audio for those of you who want to listen to it on the go. This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Everyone, this is Z Prime on the Grid. We are uh, doing something new this week. We got a bit. We got a video uh, going on. If you're listening to the audio version of this, then that's still perfectly fine. But we've got videos circulating around the web as well. So uh, make sure to check those out. We'll ha have links in the description. Um, we've got a full video panel here today. Uh, of course, I am joined as always by my co-host Aaron Hardick. Aaron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dylan. We actually had a storm move through Austin last night, and I know that one of our coworkers, Emma Garcia, lost power for a moment, but it moved through and it actually brought the temperature down here a bit. So although Austin did close its public parks and trails for the weekend because of Easter weekend, and they thought you know a lot of people would be outside, they closed the parks and trails, unfortunately. But it'll still be nice to get outside today, get a walk in with some of those cooler temperatures. And I'm excited to both see your face and our guest's face. This is something new that we're trying out. So I'm excited to have everyone here with us. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, and if, if, by the way, if anything else, the go governor of Montana, Steve Bullock, uh, just put out a statement saying that the Easter Bunny is an essential service. And, uh, <laughs> will still be distributing chocolate eggs and gold eggs full of $5 bills, depending on your family. Uh, so, you, uh, but we're here not to talk about the Easter Bunny, we're here to talk about electric vehicles. Uh, and we've got some great people on uh, to talk about that. Returning to the show for his third appearance, I think the first repeat of On the Grid tenure, we've got Austin Energy's Manager of Electric Vehicles and Emerging Technologies, Carl Popham. How's it going, Carl? Uh, personally, it's going good, you know, considering all the craziness going on. Uh, I'm excited to be a three-peat in this esteemed uh, information outlet at five-time. Do I get a five-timers jacket? So maybe uh, for a three-peat, could I get a scarf? Because those are kind of hard to come by right now or face mask. And then maybe get a blazer for a five-time if I, if I achieve the five-timers club. The best I can do is a five-guys t-shirt. Uh... <laughs> Um, perfect. Thank you. All right. <laughs> then we'll land on that. Uh, we've got another on the grid veteran joining us as well. We have Vice President of Partnerships for Green Lots, Ashley Horvat. Uh, Ashley, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah, just hanging in there on my uh, on Bainbridge Island and bunkering it up. And I've uh, got a four-year-old, so trying to keep him occupied as well as um, working. But I'm pretty lucky in that regard. So doing good. Sounds like it's keeping you busy. Uh, and finally, to complete our little panel, we have external engagement manager at Centerpoint Energy, as well as co-founder of Evolve Houston, Michael Conklin. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing terrific, Dylan. Thanks for asking. You know, it's uh, I, I'm personally very fortunate. My whole family's healthy, and we as a city here in Houston, 
thankfully our uh, city and county leaders took early action and so the impact of COVID-19 has been low and uh, the Office of Emergency Management has been very good about working with our utility to make sure that we have safety precautions and testing. So uh, all in all, I'm very pleased with the way that things are going right now and very grateful to be where I am. I'm very glad to hear that. We've been hearing a lot uh, from some of our Texas guests uh, talking about, it seems that a lot of uh, cities there were able to be effective in their responses. So we're very, very thankful for that. Um, but uh, th this time we're going to talk about uh, a bit about electric vehicles. There's uh, there's there's been there's been rumblings about it, especially with how the the fossil fuel uh, economy has been shifting on a global scale during the pandemic. Uh, so EVs are as always uh, in the news, even in, even in this news environment. Uh, so the, uh, you, you, you all, to some extent, uh, work in EVs and work in the way that EVs are presented uh, to every to everyday citizens. Um, uh, Michael, I'll start with you. How would you describe current EV marketing efforts for residential customers? Well, it, it depends on who's doing them. Uh, you know, I would say that it, I want to frame it this way. You have a lot of uh, local and environmentally based, uh, policy based marketing, and then you have uh, manufacturer based marketing, and those are two totally different things. So, a lot of what's been done to date is that the, the manufacturers aren't doing a lot of marketing, so it does tend to be a lot of policy-driven marketing, which tends to look more like education. And so there's a lot of focus on the sustainability effort, or sorry, on the sustainability benefits. And there's also a lot of emphasis on the economics of electric vehicles. Uh, that is a message that I think connects with a small part of the population. There's probably about 5% of people who uh, really tune in to a message on uh, sustainability and, um, you know, specifics of fuel economics. Um, so it has a, a small reach. Um, and, and not to discount all the great work that's been done in there, I think a lot has been accomplished. but. What I think is really exciting is the manufacturer-based advertising that we saw a lot more of in the Super Bowl. Um, so we saw that there was the Audi e-tron, there was the Hummer, uh, there was the um, the Porsche Taycan and the Mustang Mach-E. And what manufacturer-based marketing of electric vehicles looks like is they understand what speaks to consumers and consumers care about performance Consumers do care about cost-effectiveness. Uh, they also care about convenience. And when you look at these commercials, most of them focus on number one, performance. Uh, and then number two, the idea of innovation or like this kind of an image-based uh, benefit of driving an electric vehicle. And I think that that connects with consumers on an emotional level. For consumers, it's the emotional level that draws them in and then they start sorting through the, the economics of what's actually gonna work for them. So they need to find something that one, captures their attention, 
two, fits the vehicle class that they think fits their lifestyle, and then three, they have to be able to make the economics work against a uh, conventional vehicle. Uh, there might be some upside for some people where they would see uh, sustainability, maybe it's part of the image they go for, and so EV makes sense. Maybe they understand the convenience, uh, and so the electric vehicle makes sense. Maybe they understand the performance, so that factors in. That's where the education benefits of all the policy-driven efforts, I think, really pay off. Um, but I think that uh, consumers primarily are drawn in by an emotional argument, and then they start sorting through the practicalities. And I think that a lot of marketing sort of starts with the practicalities. And to be most effective, I think we need to focus on the um, the emotional connections to being smart, being convenient, being uh, forward thinking, um, high performance, all that kind of thing. Ashley, uh, do you, do you have a similar approach, or is it very different when uh, if, when you're talking when you're talking about fleet solutions uh, when you're marketing fleet solutions to those with uh, large EV fleets? Okay. So in terms of, I mean, kind of taking what Michael said on the approach to marketing from a residential perspective, I think, um, you know, having been in it from around when the first two EVs came out, the LEAF and the Mitsubishi iMEV, the OEM, the automakers have, have sort of, I don't want to say, I mean, I guess they've been reticent to, to do marketing, but I think a lot of that stems from the trajectory has been building the market, right? So we've, we've been working really hard to get all of the fundamentals right. And I think there's been, um, you know, there's been a few models introduced and now we have quite a bit of models. I think um, the automakers in terms of investing in the marketing piece has been a little bit slow on the uptake. I, I could make arguments either way that they should have maybe done it earlier. Um, Nissan had some early advertisements that had a polar bear in it. And I think um, they had an effective one where Everybody was essentially, um, you know, they were brushing their teeth, everything that um, you would think that plugs in, and they were putting, you know, gas in it essentially to kind of show what the world would be like if everybody <laughs> used certain things um, plugged in. So I think that was effective, but I think um, the automakers up to this point have really just been investing in R&D and also responding to a lot of the policy environments, which also drive the fleet um, adoption. And so I would say that everybody has been working very hard to produce models that are going to be easier to market, I guess. Um, and so up until this point, there really hasn't been as much range, right? And then there's been a lot of investment in battery technology and just getting the overall, um, there's a lot that goes into creating these supply chains that didn't exist before because we're just, we're just dealing in a whole new world. And then top that off, you have utilities, automakers, and others who really hadn't worked together before, suddenly having to work together on a really um, deep level. And there's so much work to be done on the permitting side and just everything that goes along with infrastructure. So I would say up until this point, um, you know, in, in some ways I think we should have had marketing earlier, but then in some ways I think it's almost good that we're really preparing and sophisticating the industry so that when we do introduce these vehicles into the market on a, on a wider scale beyond early adopter, I think Z-Prime's um, research showed that we're still in the early adopter phase, but I think, you know, up until this point, the, the marketing has been, I would say, a little bit subpar. 
But the Super Bowl launching and GM and Ford coming out with the Mach-E with Idris Elba, I think the actor who um, did an advertisement there for um, Ford, and, and then um, Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones did the Let It Go um, advertisement, which I thought was, was awesome. So I definitely think you'll start to see more of an uptick there. In terms of marketing on the fleet side, I think a lot of that is going to be done by the actual OEMs that are producing the, you know, let's say medium heavy-duty vehicles such as let's say Volvo and, and Daimler and others that have come out with that. I think really it's going to be a business relationship working with those individual fleets and, and looking at, you know, their routes and what makes the most sense from an optimization standpoint. But I think that that plays a really important role because if you start to see, you know, school buses that are out there, there was a really cool advertisement that they did for um, Daimler did with Proterra on the school bus. And I think if, if customers on the residential side see, okay, well look, Volvo and all of these other major OEMs are really putting heavy duty trucks out there, why not, you know, why can't I trust sort of um, the light duty? And, and I'm sure we'll get into this more, but I think infrastructure is a key piece. I think that was the number one reason people hadn't considered EVs in your survey that you did, which time and time again that becomes an issue. So we can kind of talk more about that because I do think that there is something to be said about making sure that people understand sort of uh, the availability of, of charging. Carl, any any, any thoughts for, from your perspective on what you're seeing in regards to EV marketing uh, and driving adoption efforts? You know, I actually use the term subpar historically from the manufacturers. And uh, so, you know, we launched our program in 2011 and I, I would use the term uh, marketing of EVs at time was abysmal, just terrible. I think subpar is being quite gracious. Uh, you know, so, some of my favorites, and I, I used to publicly shame these and give out, you know, my version of EV Razzie Awards, is you had the I3, they had a campaign around, it just showed you getting a ticket from a police officer. The tagline, well, at least you save money on gas. You know, that, that's getting a ticket is not a desirable state or emotional state to you know, draw people into your brand. Uh, you had uh, the, the Chevy Bolt, the V, uh, they had a campaign around a guy needing to use the bathroom at a gas station, but at least he doesn't need to fill up with gas. And even Nissan Leaf, which tried, I think, try to be clever with the early adopters, they still focused on this EV as medicine for, for the planet. And, you know, buy it because you're going to do this bigger thing. And I don't, I think that resonates with such a small sliver. If you talk to successful people who sell cars, they tell you they don't sell cars, they sell lifestyles. Um, a car is a hugely impractical thing as we buy it today. It stays parked 95% of the time. It depreciates within 24 hours of pulling off the lot. There's no practicality uh, for the most part in buying a car, so, so it's the emotions. I do agree the marketing now is improved far and away much better. You're seeing cool concepts. They're, they're doing the emotional. So, so I'm, I'm really heartened with what I'm seeing in the marketing. So I'll kind of agree with my panelists there. And I'll add one other thing that's also clever is product placement has always been quite successful. Uh, and I'll, I'll kind of give a, a shout out to Rivian. Uh, Rivian's doing a product place. They have a specific demographic, the, the adventure sports demographic. And uh, they are doing the product placement of being the support vehicles for the third season of Long Way Around. So season three is Long Way Up. Basically, it's it's two guys on a motorcycle that traverse the world on motorcycles, and this time they're going from South America to Alaska, 
uh, and the support vehicles are the Rivian. So one, it ties into your demographic, and two, it really hammers on the range anxiety. You know, you're going a halfway across the world, literally, and if, if this, these folks can do it. So I'm very encouraged from the last 12 months to now. Uh, the last thing I'd end with, it's really important. We didn't really talk about the dealerships yet, the dealerships marketing and the point of sale. So we did a lot, we have done a lot of work with dealerships. We currently have a, a program that's part of a Bloomberg grant to reach out and collaborate with dealerships. We have an Austin buyer's guide called ev.austinenergy.com. We also put uh, fueling informational kiosk in some of the key dealerships just to really partner. Because I, I would say the number one thing that's, that's reducing adoption of consumers is the typical experience or the luck of the draw experience they get when they go to your typical dealership, you know, go buy a bunch of trucks and then you get the random salesperson that comes to talk to you and you say, hey, I want to test drive an EV. What do you truly think that experience is going to be like today? So we're really trying to tackle that issue with a formalized program uh, and project with dealerships, their marketing and the point of sale customer experience. Carl, can you... Maybe I think, you know, bringing up the dealership dilemma is it's like one of the main points of EV adoption conversation right now. Can you maybe go a little bit more into that? And I, you know, welcome either of the other panelists, Ashley or Michael, if you have insight into why kind of the dealership model doesn't lend itself to increased EV adoption. Carl, I'll start with you. And then I'd love to hear from both Ashley and Michael on that as well. Yeah, we've talked and I've personally talked to a lot of sales dealership managers, internet sales managers, floor sales folks. So we have a pretty good understanding as well as the industry overall. And I'll boil it down to a few key barriers. Uh, one is an EV on average can take almost three hours to sell, two hours and 45 minutes versus a gas car is 45 minutes. So one, it takes longer. There's also even a bigger chance you're not going to get that sale. National statistics is you get less than half the commission on an EV when you just blow it naturally versus a gas car. So you're asked as a salesperson to spend more time and also get paid less. That really is a big part of the route. You also have inventory issues where some states get a wash with inventory. If you're a ZEV mandate state, uh, California, for example, so there's a little more push when you have a mandate that requires a certain percentage of your sales in that state should be zero emissions, aka EVs, then you're going to get more inventory. Where uh, in Austin, uh, in Texas, that's so it's a little bit different. Um, so, uh, so there's the inventory issues, there's the, the sales uh, incentives, and then there's even just the education of sales folks. It takes a little more knowledge we've sent shoppers and secret shoppers to dealerships and it's real hit and miss. And we have personally heard things saying that gets 12 miles. Uh, rarely do people know about the incentives. They might have heard of the federal incentives, but they didn't know the active state incentives. Say Texas has a $2,500 EV incentive. You car dealerships know it. And so what they like to do when someone comes in, they already with a gas car, you're just talking color and trim and try to up some on the sunroof and that kind of stuff. For EV, you're starting from scratch, how it works, how it plugs in. So our program puts the kiosks in the dealerships. So not only the salespeople, but potential drivers can self-learn that to really cut down that, that, that cycle time uh, there, for example. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, to add to that, I mean, did you all see there was a, was a gentleman who lost his job and he kind of came up with this really cool creative idea where he started a business and he was actually shopping for other people, like he's formerly from a dealership, and then he, was start, and he started getting customers calling from all over and he was trying to sort of disrupt the industry. So I think everything Carl said is right, and then I would just add the overall dealer model in general for selling cars I think is a bit dated and, and people, you know, is, for the most part, dread going into a dealership just based on the experience. So I think, you know, Tesla and, and Rivian, more and more recently, as Carl mentioned, is really going to have a little bit of an upper hand there in terms of that sales sales experience. Um, I think the main thing, the inventory that you touched on, Carl, is really important. Um, when I, in my former life, being in the regulatory world, it was interesting because we would get pushback from, you know, the OEMs in a public forum that, you know, our cars aren't selling in your states north. Because, you know, people don't want to drive these EVs, there's snow. It's like, well, Norway has snow and, and they're doing pretty good on EV adoption. So we sort of challenge that and look. And if you actually drill down and look at the inventory at each of the, at all the dealerships in this specific territories, I mean, it's abysmal to use your word. Um, you know, and you actually look, if, if they're not on the lot and the, number one, they're not going to be speaking about them. People need to get in the vehicle. So the, the availability of having them to drive is really important. I think the overall model, as Carl mentioned, um, I think also having control over that lifestyle question, right? So you can train people, specifically at Tesla, they live and breathe, you know, the brand itself. And then Rivian, in turn, um, they, just, they just had some legislation uh, passed in Colorado where they'll be able to sell um, directly as well. Previously, there was only um, an allowance for Tesla. So I think um, marrying up the actual vehicle with the lifestyle is a really important point that you made, Carl, because I think that allows the brand to sort of continue to layer on that marketing experience so it's not just a blip on the radar of a consumer where, hey, I maybe saw something with, you know, the Game of Thrones character and it's a cool vehicle, but they don't really know much about it. They don't know if it meets their lifestyle. And I think the difficulty with marketing to people is you meeting them where they're at when they're going to purchase a vehicle. I think, you know, people only buy new cars every 10 years in general. Um, I do think with the coronavirus and everything, there's been some, some talking pieces, uh, some hit pieces and, and, and talking points about um, the electrification industry potentially having, you know, issues um, because the sales aren't going to be as good. But I do think there's going to be a really good opportunity once we get through this crisis. I think, um, like, there's been some pictures in India and other areas of the world that have clear skies. Los Angeles has clear skies. I think EVs can kind of come in and not necessarily um, harp on the environmental because we've, we've kind of been there, done that, but, but showing, like, hey, we have a solution. Let's start fresh. Look at what the world can be. This is what the world can be like. It's more of an aspirational sort of attainment of adventure, the open road, like Rivian's doing. So I think, um, I think that can appeal to, to other people who are feeling cooped up and kind of playing on that freedom um, aspect. I do think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for um, OEMs that are already coming out with new products aligning pretty closely with when they release those products and when people are released from their homes. I think it'll be really nice to kind of see what people are able to do with that creativity. I agree with everything that uh, my fellow panelists said. And, you know, especially when talking about this dealership model and the challenges with, uh, you know, at the salesperson level, I have a background in sales and specifically in short cycle sales. And so to be sympathetic to these people that are trying to, sell vehicles, it's hard work, and your biggest enemy is questions. And so you have these people who come in and they don't know much about an electric vehicle, and there's all these questions, 
And then how are you going to start talking about watt hours per mile and things like that? It gets very complicated and we don't really have a good way of bringing customers up to speed quickly. Love what Austin Energy is doing with their kiosks. I think that should help. But you know, when questions come up, the uh, incentive for the salesperson is to shift to something that won't raise so many questions, and that's a gas vehicle. And you have an easy segue because you can say, well, you know, this gas vehicle is very much like this EV, and it costs $10,000 less. So right away, you have a very easy way to shift them off of the EV. And that's what happens a lot. And it's for very understandable reasons. So one of the best ways to sell more electric vehicles is to create more uh, educated EV shoppers. And th that can be accomplished through experiential marketing, getting people in cars. When people feel an electric vehicle, uh, that goes a long way. Try before you buy programs are really important. Tesla does a great job with this. I don't know how well known it is that when you buy a Tesla, you have seven days to return it. Uh, that's pretty uh, compelling. You know, you can buy it, you can drive it for seven days, and if this doesn't work for your lifestyle, give it back. I mean, how easy is that? I think that if more dealerships would enable some sort of a long-term trial program, you know, something like that week, I think that would have a huge impact. Yeah, I, I noticed uh, like uh, what, Car what Carl said early on was that like when he was talking about advertisements he thought didn't work the phrase that kept coming back was at least you know at least he you know at least he did this at least she 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 got this like small thing out of it and, like that's the reason that's not a great way to market is because in you're telling people what evs are not and like it's not this part of a car it's not this part of a car you both talked about michael and ashley is selling selling that lifestyle like what it means for you to own for you to own this car and i think like you said tesla d has done a good has done a good job uh promoting their electric vehicles as not only a responsible item but as a but as a luxury item that there's all these accoutrements there's being a part of this uh of, of, of this brand that like elon musk in particular has been has driven for the past uh half a decade or more um dylan before we leave this i i'd just like to to harp on one more point yeah, go for it. Um, what, one thing that I think is really encouraging, an encouraging trend in uh, manufacturer modeling is the connection to quality. And this is where you were talking about uh, the positives. You know, what do you get from an electric vehicle instead of what do you not have to do anymore? And the number one thing that consumers care about is quality, uh, performance being a part of that. But quality also means reliability. And so now you see Ford connecting their EV to the Mustang, an established brand, something that people trust. Uh, GMC connecting it to the Hummer, something that's known, something that represents durability and other things that sound like reliability. This is very different than putting out a new car that's called a Volt or a Leaf or something else that no one's ever heard of before. And I think that that trend is really critical for closing this perception gap where people think that driving this EV is gonna to be totally different. No, it's not totally different. It's a Mustang that fuels differently, but it's still high performance and it still drives the way that you uh, are used to thinking of a Mustang driving. Yeah, that, that that's exactly right. I, I, I've said this probably three times on this show, but uh, I just I, I always go back to that 
that time when uh, Subaru announced that they were making electric versions of all their vehicles to be sold only in Australia, but that part was always hidden deep in the article. So when the when the you know the headline was making its way across social media, all my friends up here in the Pacific Northwest were like, you know, this is this is a game changer. I can finally get my I can finally get a get an Outback that is also uh, that is also an electric vehicle until they found out that you actually can't. But unless you live in Australia, but I I I, I think that 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 alone is. Uh, could be a could be a huge thing uh going forward is that is there anything else uh you guys have seen that have been effect that, that have been like effective strategies in in driving adoption uh at a local level i i think i don't know if you guys are familiar with what veloz is doing i think that's kind of been the difficulty along the way is trying to figure out how to not just market an individual model what we've been talking about a specific model but how to market just the overall movement and sort of electrification in general, because if you think about it, it is a shift in the way that we fuel. So there's one mode of thinking that's, you know, like Michael was speaking about, which is just focusing on the quality, and this is just another version of the car. But then there's another mode of thinking that I would say probably Veloz has taken where they've been more um, speaking about all the modes of electrification from light-duty vehicles to buses to, you know, electric for all is their tagline. And I do think that's effective. The difficulties with that is acquiring the funding necessary to, of course, you know, get that out in, in the markets that it needs to get out. And they've done a really great job. Um, and I think that their overall messaging is really going to be effective. It's just a, ma a matter of amplifying that message. But I think it, it's interesting, right, because you have Austin Energy, Centerpoint, um, you know, other utilities throughout the country that are looking at supporting um, the marketing. And so I think something like that really plays into it because utilities might not just put a bunch of chargers out that service um, you know, light duty vehicles, but they're gonna look at electrifying buses, which might help in the future with vehicle to grid and storage and some of these resiliency issues that come up. And then it also gives cities um, you know, a chance like the city of Houston to really think about it from a holistic perspective from schools that are in their district to um, you know, maybe airports that are electrifying to city fleets because it's kind of painting this picture of a broad swath of electrification and it's harder to pinpoint that to a residential customer but I think that's where the OEMs you know really come into play to start pinpointing um, specific model um, marketing but I do think it is important to find a way for the industry writ large to really focus on um, that education at the forefront and, and Michael you mentioned earlier having that education happen so that when they get to the dealership they don't have as many questions and they can probably answer their own questions which most likely happens. Um, if, even as we get into the future adopters I do think that um, there is a, a policymakers want to do their best to educate and there's been some efforts in the Northeast as well to kind of coalesce funding amongst different states to educate and they create websites you know which are portals to information for consumers but I think Ultimately, people respond more emotionally, as was stated earlier, to the advertising. But um, being able to, on a regional level, educate people because there's just so many incentives, that's always been the problem, right? Even when there's incentives, like in Colorado, they've had, they've had so much funding available for so long, but they haven't seen the adoption. And I think um, one of the major issues is just getting that information out to people that they know that that's there and that they should actually want to um, utilize that. I couldn't agree more with the idea of putting education as a high priority for uh, making sure that the sales and the sales cycle uh, is manageable and fast. 
one of the things we got to do is we got to not only educate people, but we got to make it simple and easy to understand in a few quick steps. I remember this company that I saw out of California, Enervy. I'm sure you guys have probably run into them before. Uh, Enervy has a really cool thing that they do where they they do some uh, web search optimization and they make it so that when you search for a vehicle, it'll show the vehicle that you search for, but then it'll also show an EV. And they boil the comparison down to three simple things, uh, purchase price, fuel, and maintenance. And they just take those three things and they show the three for this car, the three for that car, and many times the EV works out to be cheaper. That's easy to understand. And so when the education can be there, but the education can also be simple, I think it's more powerful. Yeah, and I, I want to weigh in, a, you know, on education as well, you know, what utilities can do and what cities can do. Uh, so some examples is uh, one thing we're doing is we launched a program called EVs for Schools. And EVs for Schools is a program for fourth grade to 12th grade to educate the next generation. So to have that generational shift and change, uh, to have kids realize what EVs are, have those conversations potentially with their parents. And we specifically launched it with high populations of low income kids. You know, this EVs just aren't for the rich, they're really for everyone. So they can be familiar with the technology. Um, I would say the other thing is you can be marketing just um, aspects of driving an EV. So we have a dinosaur named Stevie. Uh, Stevie does get around our community, is, is pretty well known. Uh, the Stevie video campaigns harp on some key messages we wanted to do. Uh, one of them is just being um, how easy it's just to plug in your car. One of the biggest myths out there right now with most people is they think they need all the special infrastructure to plug in the car. The number one way Austinites charge today is it's a level one outlet or what the world calls an outlet. And so for certain commutes, that just, that just makes sense uh, as well. And then uh, Stevie was designed from our research showing why people buy vehicles. And number one, it's fun and it's cool. And so we wanted kind of a, a media campaign to focus. Um, and then I would kind of say last is, at the end of the day, is have some compelling, easy to understand products. Demystify selling KWH and all these complicated rate structures. Uh, when we launched our public charging, it's unlimited for 417 a month can understand, okay, well, that's a new gas bill. We also work with local auto dealers is if you wanted to buy this for $50 by year's worth of paid for charging, you can sell it. So when someone came into a Leaf dealership, well, how much is going to charge cost me? Rather than the complimented conversation of how KWH and how that works is, well, we've already prepaid hard for you. It comes with every lease or purchase of new Leaf. The first year is on us. So people can start, you know, wrapping their heads around it. So, um, so I think there's a lot of things you can do to reduce barriers. Uh, I think outreach and education is a big part of any strategy. Carl, you and Ashley have both now mentioned one particular part of EV marketing that I want to talk about. So in Z Prime's latest EV research, we surveyed a thousand US consumers on whether or not they would buy an EV, if not, why? Um, and the top three concerns for purchasing electric vehicles, number one was charging availability. Ashley, you mentioned that earlier. Carl, you just talked about it. Um, number two was purchase cost and number three was range. So 
what can we do to kind of shift the marketing conversation to address these concerns? Carl, you make a good point. You know, people are so concerned about where they're going to charge their car. And I think that everybody's like, if I'm going to charge my car, I, like, I need to do it via this public infrastructure. But you're finding that, you know, we can really just do this at home. It shouldn't be as big of a concern as it actually is. So um, actually, maybe you can take a stab at it first and then Carl and Michael chime in, but like, what can we do to make sure that we're addressing these concerns in marketing efforts? So I think the number one thing is putting the infrastructure out there. I think that's an obvious one, but not just putting them in locations for the sake of locations, but looking at highly visible um, places that are going to get high utilization. I think that fundamentally will help. It's, it's not a glitzy ad campaign necessarily, but it is an in-person experience a lot of times, the difficult thing with infrastructure, especially as you talk about high-powered DCPs, um, sometimes the most visible locations aren't necessarily um, the most uh, ideal locations from a cost perspective, and Carl can really speak to that. I mean, you guys have your electric, um, your electric avenue location that's really highly visible, but most of the time it's hard to find locations like that in the right-of-way. Um, however, you know, we're working with cities throughout the, the country to put them in right-of-way on the curbside. So I think um, one of the ways in which uh, utilization of those can increase um, awareness is through TNCs. You know, I think it's interesting, right, because we thought TNCs are somewhat ubiquitous, but they're also having issues from a profitability standpoint and a, and a business model. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how um, our way of mobility shifts even, you know, post-corona. So I think that's a, a separate conversation, but I do think electrifying TNCs, lifts, all of those modes of transportation, I think, is going to be helpful. And then, I mean, there's apps, of course, Green Lots, we have our app and everybody has an app, but I think one of the interesting things that I think you'll start to see happening more and more um, is partnerships with automakers on the infrastructure side of things. So the automakers are really going to want, number one, they want to, to control the experience with their customers, right? Like having that customer relationship is the most important and valuable asset. And so I think automakers are starting to realize, if not have already realized, that tying the infrastructure to the sale in some way, whether it's as, as, as straightforward as Tesla's, may be different with each automaker. But I think for them to be able to control and know that their users, once they get off the lot, are going to be able to have access to charging that works is really important. And so Ford has their Ford um, Pass that Greenloss is partnered with. And so having the ability to integrate the technologies without the consumer really being exposed to that um, as, a, as a negative experience, I think is going to be really important. So interoperability is a big thing for us because we want users to be able to travel between them without issue. Um, and so I think just, number one, having a fundamentally reliable infrastructure network is going to be the best marketing because, you know, the more users use it, the more experience they're going to have. And then number two is tying it into the actual vehicle. I think that's going to be critical. And, and I'm, I am seeing that more and more as vehicle rollouts are happening, OEMs are realizing they need to roll out um, infrastructure alongside. And then the preliminary less, you know, enticing um, part of it is just the sort of pre-planning that is required prior to um, the marketing rollout. I've seen some marketing um, on infrastructure that isn't as tied to the actual purchase of vehicles, so I think that's important. And there's creative ways, like I know Drive Electric Orlando is doing some really great programs on tourism too, so even though it might not be in the area where people live, 
Um, there's Orlando, there's also Oregon, the Oregon Electric Byways, where we, we did um, sort of tourism approach to the marketing. So again, I think it ties back to the aspirational, the explorer, um, tying EVs with no limitations, I think, because up until this point, Carl, when you mentioned the Volt, that reminded me just the limitation and like sort of like you're sacrificing something, um, the feeling that you're sacrificing doesn't exactly go over well when people are spending a lot of money on a car. So I think um, not looking at it as a sacrifice is going to be important as well. Yeah, I think yeah. you talked talked about the three main barriers, cost, um, change, uh, and then is the infrastructure available. Um, so one thing on the infrastructure question, you know, the, the follow-up question I'd like to hear on that survey is, is your daily commute less or greater than 40 miles? And if your daily commute is less than 40 miles, did you know you can just plug into an outlet? Do you have access to uh, this, any outlet that you could plug a hairdryer in, do you have an outlet for your car? And so you might see that, uh, once again, that's on our job for awareness of what, what you do or do not need. Cost, um, you know, several years ago, we launched, we thought it was the right time due to we see the cost dropping and starting to see a viable use car market on EVs. Um, so we launched EVs are for everyone. And what we're finding is uh, people are getting into very gently used Leafs, uh, $7,000, $8,000, $2 to 3 years old, 15,000 miles, highly reliable. Uh, same thing with some of the electric fiats coming on the market. People are buying those for under $7,000 and they're cute and they're fun. And, you know, they're everything you kind of want in EV, little zippy for the little commuter time. So we think cost is heading in the right direction. And even new costs, uh, you know, all the projections are showing a decrease in the core component of the EV, the lithium ion battery. It's just how steep is that, uh, that slope uh, of decreasing cost. And then range, we're seeing one that's about a, that's part outreach is, you know, what do you actually use it for daily commute? But we're seeing the new normal a few years ago was when the cars first launched, the EV normal range was 100 miles. And then the normal became 200 miles. Now we're seeing the new normal being 300 and you're seeing Rivians and whatnot launching with 400 miles. So we think we're kind of tackling that up front as well, but it's also just kind of awareness of what you want. I also think that when it comes to the infrastructure, I know that it's, you know, one of the most common responses, you know, when asking consumers, what are the barriers? They say infrastructure, but then Consumer Reports did a, uh, a survey last year and found that the number one solution for range anxiety was owning an EV. So people's perception of what they need in terms of charging infrastructure isn't really rooted in an understanding of the EV driving experience, much like what Carl was saying. You know, if you have this short commute, why, why would you think that you need a charging station that was like a gas station located on your route? There's no way that you would. Uh, in my experience driving an EV, I have never in the city of Houston charged out of need. I have only charged out of necessity of on uh, convenience. I'm there, the charger's there, so I plug in for what the heck. But I do need charging when I'm traveling to Austin, and I do need charging when I'm traveling to San Antonio. And I drive a Tesla, which has a great network, but I don't feel like that is enough. So I do feel like we need more charging infrastructure. It's just that where it's needed isn't where a lot of people that I talk to seem to think it's needed. People who don't drive EVs think we need more charging stations around town. 
I'm not sure that we do. I would like to see more on intercity corridors. So that, that actually leads into the last question uh, I wanted to ask since we're, we're pushing up against time here, which is uh, what change do you personally want to see, big or small, uh, in the EV space that, that, that you think would represent uh, a, step, uh, a step forward that, 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 that you'd like to see? And, and Carl, we'll start with you. Uh, I'll keep it real simple. Uh, electric trucks and SUVs. Here in the U.S. market, here in the Texas market, that's critical. Right now, uh, you know, last year, um, six, the, the light sedan market is about 33% of the national market. So we're, we're fighting over 37%. Until EVs can compete in 100% of the market or close to it, uh, we're not going to get the numbers we need. So trucks and SUVs, personally seen the Rivian, awesome. Really excited about the Ford rolling out. I personally think that the cyber truck is cool. That's a little more uh, divisive, but I think it hits an interest. Very divisive, Carl. I knew I was excited to hear your answer on that because I know that you are like a car guy. Like you're always yeah. really into cars. So I was excited to hear what you had to say. Sorry, um, Michael and Ashley, go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I echo I echo everything that Carl just said. I think I mean Chrysler Pacifica plug-in minivan is important, but it's again just gets 30 miles electric. So I think I mean the whole nation is moving towards SUVs, and the number one argument when when the oil price started to drop um, is like the, the price of gas, right? And that moves people away from purchasing EVs. But if there's a if there's a parallel opportunity to provide a more compelling SUV on the electric side, I think that's going to be important. Um, the other thing is, like, if I were to see anything, I think as we kind of get out of this economic crisis that we're in that's continuing to develop, I think stimulus, 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 we, we saw the industry sort of create its foundation in 2010 after the ARA bill was passed, the stimulus bill, which a lot of the projects that we all worked on were rooted in, in the stimulus bill. So I think, I think you will see a, a huge amount of investment after this in the infrastructure and vehicles and all of that. So I think that would be um, kind of what I would change. And I think the reason being is because it'll be even better than it was, you know, 10 years ago because we've laid the foundation. We have the industry in place. There's so many more people working in this industry, and we're increasingly seeing, like, diverse people working in this industry. So I think it's really important to continue to um, not just expand the actual purchase of the vehicles, but expand what people envision as, like, the future jobs of this country. And so I think if EV, if the EV industry kind of owns that conversation going forward and attracts people to work for utilities, like in Michael's job and, and Carl's and, and, and yours, you know, Aaron, I think um, showing young people sort of the future of transportation and then, you know, it'll all follow. I mean, the OEMs are going to come out with really compelling products. That's what they do. You know, they want to make money. So I think if we can continue to build this, um, this movement and attract new consumers, I think that'll be helpful. Well, Carl already said trucks and SUVs, so there, there goes the best talking point out of all of them. <laughs> but um, yeah, other than needing more trucks and SUVs and the fact that we're getting them is great. I think what's really exciting and what I'd like to see more of is the emphasis on experiential marketing. And Evolve Houston does a really good job with this. For 2020, the focus was on getting more people in cars. Now with COVID-19, that became a lot more difficult. But once this is all over, uh, we'll be full force on that. But I think also promoting programs like the seven-day return policy that Tesla has, if we can have that 
more broadly adopted, I think that would have a huge impact if we could get uh, car rental companies to add some electric vehicles to their fleet where people could try them low risk. I think that would be really helpful. And then there's also platforms like, um, we've got a, a company here in Houston called Corex. Corex is one of these car rental platforms. So you can just go on there and you can rent a car for three months or six months or three years, whatever you wanna do. And so when you can pick up an electric vehicle for three months and just try it out, that's low commitment. Uh, that's very easy to do. And that's a good way to get a person in a car. I already mentioned that I thought that it would be great if utilities like Centerpoint Energy got into that game uh, and could do short-term loans of electric vehicles. Because I fully believe that if you put an electric vehicle in a family's um, driveway, if you can put that electric vehicle in the driveway and get people driving it, nine times out of 10, that becomes the family's favorite car. So really the trick is just to get it in the driveway, get them to try it. And then if they have that, then it becomes the favorite car. And now they've got two cars. They've got that daily driver, that's the electric vehicle, and they probably still have a gas car for the one time a year that they want to drive to Colorado. And that's a lot easier. And that's a really great short-term solution that we could massively increase the number of electric vehicles on the road. So I think that more try before you buy and ex other experiential marketing initiatives, I think those are the things that I'm most excited about in the near term. Yeah, I would just add to that. I think um, automakers hire big ad agencies for this, but I think meeting people where they're at. So like the platforms are changing and different demographics are still on Facebook. Some demographics are on Instagram, others TikTok. So I think there's a lot of really unique ways you can kind of penetrate that, you know, some of those areas where consumers are at. Actually, can we count on you to make an EV TikTok for us? I, I literally she's going to say something about it. Like, I cannot commit to that. <laughs> oh, I'm not in that demographic anymore. Yeah, but, um, we have, you know, our Slack, we use Slack, and uh, a lot of people have been sharing um, as part of our connection uh, remote some different TikToks, and I have yet to do one, but maybe we can do one. Maybe all of us can sort of commit to doing one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll get it on the calendar. Um, Aaron, uh, just... I was wondering if you if you had a, if you had an answer to something you would like to see uh, in the EV space. That's a hard one, Dylan. I think um, you know, Michael. I like this idea of like more experiential marketing because um, Aaron O'Shea and I were at an impact mobility event a few months back when you could still go to events, and um, somebody, one of the presenters there said. EV sell by osmosis. Like if you have an EV and you go and you hang out with your friend and they've never been in an EV and you drive, they get in your EV with you. It's like more likely that they're going to buy an EV because they have a friend that does it and like talks highly of it and can give them that experience. So just like, yeah, some way that you can increase the experience of interacting with an EV and being in the EV will drastically impact you know, marketing efforts and adoption. So I'd like to see more done in that space. I love that idea of adoption by osmosis or whatever you call it. I, I'm literally watching it in my neighborhood. So I live in a small neighborhood of about 100 homes. And one year ago, we had zero EVs. 
And then uh, around April last year, one person bought a Model 3. And then a couple months went by somebody else. We have six now. And you can just see it's picking up. So the first one, a few months go by, then the second one, and then like two months go by. And then all of a sudden we're seeing each month, you know, we're getting another EV in the neighborhood. So people see them and it, it just becomes, oh, wow, that's cool. Uh, you know, my neighbor over there drives it. I talked to him, he seems to love it. And now everybody's buying them. Now, 6% of houses in our neighborhood have electric vehicles parked in their driveways. Yeah, we see the same thing at the workplaces too and with workplace charging. You get one person on the team, they start telling the other teammate and you get these clusters. So I don't know if I want to use a term, it goes viral. Maybe we need to come up with a new uh, post-COVID crisis term <laughs> of, of going a, viral. Not very good at this moment. Uh, but it has, it has those properties. Well, excellent. Uh, thank you. Thank you for those stories, and thank you for that suggestion, Aaron. Uh, appreciate you being on and talking to EVs. Thanks, Dylan. It was good to see everybody's faces. Yeah, I like your hat, Dylan. Oh, thanks. Go, go, Hawks. I hope. I hope. Uh, I hope they come back because I, as of today, the XFL is is pretty much officially gone under. So, uh, no more, no more spring football. So. I was expecting smaller headphones, though. I mean, Jason, uh, y'all's CEO, has really paved the way of small <laughs> headphone technology. So you with those clunkers, I was a little surprised. Oh yeah, exactly. Like uh, I had to, I had to take, I had to take one for the team and uh, like get the on Twitch or something like a video game. Yeah, let's smash that like button, bros. <laughs> like and subscribe. Like and subscribe to our Z Prime content. Uh, I would not. I would not telling the truth if I said I didn't get these initially for Twitch streaming, but yeah, next time we should do this on house party. So oh, make... yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, man. Uh, okay. Uh, that's, that's going to be our, that's going to be our next episode. Um, so, but uh, Ashley, thank you so, so much for coming in and sharing your perspectives from, from your quarantine. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I always love so, hanging out with my Texas crew. And uh, Michael, thanks for being on. Thanks for being on, uh, sharing the great outdoors with us. Looks like. <laughs> thanks. It was great to see everybody. And uh, Carl, we appreciate you and your deer being on to share your perspective as well. I appreciate. It. Yeah, I think Michael wins best backdrop. I'm, I'm assuming that's a green screen. He, he's in a professional studio. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if that was professional, I wouldn't have put this ugly thing over here. <laughs> but it looks like utility, utility related. So. Yeah. You know, I, I tried to find an angle where I could get rid of all of the eyesores, but you know what? It's a utility pole, so let's celebrate it. Austin Energy is down, yeah. Centerpoint Energy yeah, I like down. it. And hey, exactly. this, feeds, this feeds the electric vehicles, right? Exactly. We appreciate Picture, it. Industry, the environment, uh, the workplace, it's all, it's all coming together. It's very, it's visual, it's visual imagery. Mm -hmm. uh, Who anyway. thought that utilities would be the sexy place to be in 2020? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so uh, for the rest of you, thank you for, thank you for joining us either on the video or on the audio. You can find our research and media at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at zprime research, at DY Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick. And we hope our, our panelists and our listeners are staying safe and staying sane out there. <laughs>